I just love it when God shows up and we just don't have to do the same old thing every week. It's way better that way. All right, Tim is going to speak to you in just a few moments. But first of all, he wanted me to share uh, something that I've been staring on, well, kind of since the beginning of COVID. What year did that start? 2020. Yeah, okay. Um, And, uh, you know, something that's really important for all the people of God is that part of having the Holy Spirit and being in a prophetic community is that we must always be aware of the times and the seasons that we're living in now. Obviously, you know, being in the COVID thing was pretty obvious. You know, you didn't really need to be prophetic to realise that that was happening. But what is God saying in the middle of it and who is he going to be to you in the middle of it is really, really important. And... um, when it first started, I really felt like God kept drawing me to the concept of the remnant. And I felt like he said, a remnant is going to rise up out of this. Oh, I feel like I need to go back a bit. Um, a remnant is going to rise up out of this. And yeah, we're going to see a remnant of the people of God through that. Now, I need to get my Bible. Really simply, remnant, if you do a cross-reference study in the Bible about the remnant, you will find a whole lot of this, especially in the Old Testament and mainly in the Old Testament actually. Now the remnant, sorry, I I just need it when I flick pages, is that all right? Um, But stay with me, it's nice. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to read a few verses, but um, last year I read the chronological Bible in a year. It was so much fun. I honestly just, I've been to Bible college and had to read the whole Bible at Bible college. Reading it all in one year chronologically was like, wow. And I go to Tim, this is way better than like any soapy or anything. It's just like really dramatic. Um, But but there's lots of things that God says about the remnant. Now, what is a remnant? Yeah, a remnant is a remnant is a smaller portion of something that is left. And um, let me just read a few verses. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down but they will truly rely on the Lord. So a feature of the remnant of God is that they will truly rely on the Lord. Let me just flick to the next thing. See if I, can. I did. Okay. <laughs> Megan is here. You can sit down if you like. Megan. Now, before I go into the one of the greatest examples of the remnant in the Bible, which I'm not going to take that long to do, I want to briefly talk about this remnant that we're experiencing right now. I'm not talking about the fact that in I-61 we now have a remnant of what we had two years ago. 
and, and we do have that. But what I'm talking about is across the body of Christ, across the world, right now, there is a remnant experience that has risen up after COVID. So something that COVID did, and it was spoken of a lot in the beginning, is that God God didn't bring COVID. He wasn't like, well, look, I'm just going to wipe out part of the planet and, you know, shake things up a bit. But there is, there are many scriptures where God says, hey, I will shake. I'm going to shake the earth. In other words, I'm going to shake the things that are no longer of me. I'm going to shake them off. So what remains is more of him with us. So a shaking of God can sound like a terrifying thing, but actually it can be a glorious thing. And so what we have seen and what I have heard through lots of prophetic voices, I know Patricia King has talked about the remnant. I've seen Jodie Hughes talk about the remnant. In fact, she did a quote the other week where she said, I never needed a multitude. Uh, God says, I never needed a multitude to move. I only need a remnant. Isn't that awesome? And then... um, I know Nate Johnson that some of you look up, who's quite a well-known Australian prophetic voice. He actually has done a book called The Wild Ones. He's doing a course at the moment. And it's about the remnant people of God who are passionate lovers of him, who are rising up. Now, the purpose of the remnant was not just a smaller group, but what happened in the remnant seasons in the Old Testament was that the people of God came back to who they were supposed to be as the people of God. And the greatest example of that is when King Hezekiah, Hez, where are you? Where's Hezekiah? Hezekiah, come in, the Lord is calling you in. That was supposed to be funny. Um, And so what happens? So King Hezekiah becomes king at 25. So if you're like young, it's possible to rule a nation with the empowerment of God at an early age. Here's what we hear. Uh, Here's what we see that he did. I'm going to read two. I'm going to read a few different parts and you'll just have to put it together, right? This is what we're doing. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. So here's what a leader does that brings the remnant of God, people are back together. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So when you read of the kings of Israel, it often says they did right in the eyes of the Lord or they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given him and the Lord was with him and he was successful whatever he undertook. Okay, so he first of all defeated the Assyrian and the Philistine army that were coming and constantly killing the Israelites. So that's a pretty good thing. Here is his first act as king with the remnant of the people of Israel. What would you do if you just had a little group left? What would you do as your first act? His first act, 2 Chronicles 29, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. 
He brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them into the square on the east side. And he said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary because in the days before just then, the temple had started to be, to be used to worship idols. And in fact, the temple had actually been pulled apart. And so he says, therefore, we're going to shut the doors of the portico. We're going to put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings. Therefore, the anger of the Lord fell on Judah and Jerusalem. But he decided that he would turn that around to the favor of the Lord. Now he says to his people, now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord. So leaders that bring the remnant of the people of God back to who the people of God are supposed to be know what covenant is because covenant is connected to the heart of the Father. One more thing. did my little tags to try and make it easier. Here is some fruit of remnant seasons. So like when, I, when God was first saying to me, oh, there's going to be a remnant rise up like in 2020. You know, I'm, I'm like the pioneer girl. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. Like, wow, there's going to be a remnant. And then you start hearing from pastors around the nation and you start hearing that 60% of pastors in America want to leave their jobs. You start hearing of people that have left the church because really it's nicer to just walk around and have a family day on a Sunday. You start hearing of all these things where people abandon the values of the king and seeking the kingdom first. Therefore, what we have is a remnant rise up. So, like, as that hits, you're kind of like, oh, this is, you know, I guess this is kind of good. <laughs> it's not quite as fun in reality sometimes. But actually, in reality, it brings us to the purest form of who we're supposed to be as sons and daughters. And so, the act of the remnant was two main things. There was a re-establishing of the people of God and their priorities, and the purity of their heart. And the second thing as you go through that, through that experience, they basically retrained as a people group. So part of our job as the remnant is not just to re-consecrate ourselves to the Lord, because if you look at a lot of worship songs coming out right now, they're all about your yes. They're all about being a poured out offering. They're all about our lives laid down. There's actually a lot of just surrender and offering worship songs that are coming out in this season because it's a remnant season, which means there's a re-coming back, a repenting, a coming back to his heart and his ways. So the fruit of that that comes is two things. It says... There was, <laughs> not doing well at this. There was, I should have just made notes and just pasted it all together. There was great joy in Jerusalem for since the days of Solomon, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem before. So one of the fruits is that there are, is great joy. Does anyone need some joy? I think we all need a bit of joy. The other fruit that came 
was that it says in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. So the people of God came into a prosperity that they had not experienced for generations and they were celebrating in joy at the prosperity. So there is a hand-in-hand fruit that comes when we come back to the heart of God, when we purify our hearts back to being the people of God. And interestingly enough, then Hezekiah gets really sick almost to the point of death and he meets with God and he says, God, I've been faithful. I am righteous. What about our relationship here? And so God says, well, because of that, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. And so out of that, he experiences a miracle where he gets better, which in those days, I mean, they didn't have antibiotics and all the extra things, right? So that would have been quite a miracle. So coming back to the Lord, experiencing the fruit of joy and prosperity opens the way for the miraculous. And that's the season I believe that we're in. And Tim is now going to take it up from there. That was really quite awesome, actually, if I may be so bold as to say. I got my own, it's okay, microphone she was talking about. So remnant seasons are a time where there is a purifying there, there is a focused intensity of purifying for the remnant to actually be a remnant. And remnants happen in a season often when God has done a major correction to the people of God, where the people have wandered off, essentially. They've kind of checked out. And all that remains is, is this remnant as a result of a lot of the people of God not being able to handle the correction. And that's what I want to pick up on for just a couple of minutes. I want to pick up from Hebrews chapter 12, just before your thing, James. We had a really cool time with the interns on Friday, didn't we? Are there any of them here? Yeah, 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 there we are. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. One of the things two Sundays ago when we were here, Um, And I talked about four things that I really felt that the glory of God is on right now. Um, And that, you know, the glory of God has come off consumer church. And consumer church is all about me, my needs, what I want, what works for me, what works for my lifestyle. Um, And consumer church really is where Jesus is my life coach. He's not my Lord. Yeah. So consumer church is where Jesus is my life coach. He's not my Lord. When you employ a life coach, you get to make all the choices. You're in charge. You're paying the bill. (laughs) And they are there to support you in what you want. But Jesus never said, come unto me and I will be your life coach. He said a lot of things, but he didn't say that. So Hebrews chapter 12, what I want to pick up for just a few minutes is One of the characteristics of a remnant is they know who their Lord is. They've got this Lordship thing sorted out and that's actually why they're a remnant because they didn't check out with the rest. And I believe in the church broadly, we are right now in a major correction season. 
at the beginning of COVID, we talked about um, this divine reset that God was wanting to do. And that is to bring his people back to the heart of what things are, what it's really about. Because we had a lot of stuff. And we, I'm talking the royal we, you know, we, all y'all, you know, we, the church, the, the broad church of the West in particular, had a lot of things going on. Um, and there is still to this day an awful lot of Jesus is my life coach kind of stuff going on um, in the church. And this is where there's a major correction because like I said, his glory is just not on that. So in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, like miraculously follows Hebrews 11. Like that's profound, right? And it's before he, have you? Yeah, spoiler alert, big time. Absolutely, absolutely. So what we've just had is this description of, the, of really the faith hall of fame. Like these are the people that totally kicked butt um, in the kingdom. And, and whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about these people as this cloud of witnesses that is looking on at us and is cheering us on and saying, come on, come on, you can do this. And then we cut, so in Hebrews chapter 12 begins with, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which is all the people he's mentioned in, in Hebrews 11, um, you know, who received back their dead, who quenched the flurry, the furry, fury. It's actually the same spelling. Isn't it? No, furry is a double R. It's fury. Yeah. I was just telling Jen, it's really funny when you're drunk in the spirit because you're normally so like, you know, precise, you know, you're organized, you know where we're going and then the spirit gets on you and you're like, what's happening next? I don't really know what we're doing. It's, it, I love that. And I can't read or spell seemingly now either, which is just great. Anyway, back to the point. Um, you know, and yeah, who turned weakness into strength, who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There are others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, cleft in twain, as the old words used to say, which I, sounds funny. Um, not a funny experience. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted. I mean, if you're walking about in sheepskins, you probably will be persecuted. Well, it's just not a really cool dress thing. Anyway, that, I was, that was a humorous thing. All right. So these are, these are all the heroes of faith that he's talked about. And then he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says, or she, whoever wrote Hebrews, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If I've seen any major theme over a lot of the people of God, over, you know, the what, 60% of pastors that want to quit and give up, is a whole lot have grown weary and lost heart in the midst of this correction. Because it's like all the stuff that we used to do that used to work just doesn't feel like it works anymore. And so we double down for a while and try and do more of that. And, as, and God's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm over there somewhere. And so there, and because we haven't fully got hold of the fullness of what he's doing, it's like, well, I don't know what to do anymore. And usually pastors like to know what to do. Some do. 
Um, and he said, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart, remember him, consider him. Then what I wanna get into here just for a minute is I talked about there is a fresh call back to the Lordship of Jesus, out of the life coach Jesus into the Lordship of Jesus. And here's one of the aspects that this looks like. So he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. <laughs> That's pretty intense when you think about it. But it, it's essentially a picture of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, who was carrying the weight, who was beginning to carry the weight of the sin of the world and was saying, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, let it be. And he was sweating drops of blood in that moment. And in that moment, if you like, his temptation was, I don't, in my humanness, how am I gonna walk through this? But he made the choice and then an angel came and, and strengthened him. That, that's essentially the picture. You've not resisted to the point where Jesus had to resist, to the point where he was literally sweating drops of blood at the intensity of what was in front of him. So that kind of removes every excuse right there, eh? Um, and you, have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? This is the bit I wanna get to. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. <laughs> no, we had an agreement I wouldn't talk about you today, so I won't. Next week. Um, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the, fathers of our, the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may, may share in His holiness. Okay, let me go there for just a moment. One of the, one of the, the, the critical central pieces of lordship is Am I open to being corrected? Am I open to the voice of God coming to me and going, dude or dudess, whichever the case may be, you're on the wrong track. Listen, go that way, not that way. <laughs> See, the life coach Jesus relationship says, well, what I want is what matters how I see the world, my opinion, the way I see it, what I see on TikTok and how, that, how, how cool that is. That's how we go. That, that, that's what I'm doing. But the essence of lordship says, I am actually lower than him and he has the right to speak into my life and correct me. Now, how he does that, he may do it through a spiritual mother and father, in other words, a person with skin on. He may do it with scripture, which is a key reason why we need a real living relationship with this thing. Love the, word, the way Bill Johnson puts it. He said, reading scripture is like God putting a sword up to your, like holding a sword to your heart like this and then going, come here. In other words, you're walking into this thing that is gonna actually pierce your heart. 
The sword of the Spirit actually cuts deep and it brings correction. It brings a change of course. Now, he said, they discipline, our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. So the essence of that verse is, is essentially our, our parents disciplined us for a little while. In other words, for the time that we were children. During that period when we were children, for a little while, our parents disciplined us, but God disciplines us throughout our entire life. How open are we to that? How open are we to the correction? You see, He has a way. And it's not overly negotiable. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. You travel on it. Then he says, um, they disciplined us for a little while um, as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. What is holiness? Me growing up, my view of holiness was kind of a mixture between being a really good boy and really boring. If I was to be completely honest with you, that, that was a, if I thought of a person who was really holy, they, they, they never really did anything wrong, they never said anything wrong, but to me that was, they were always a little bit boring. Never really had any fun. That is actually not what holy means. The key essence of the word holy is set apart. How many of you have a toothbrush? You have a toothbrush? Anyone? Anyone not have a toothbrush? Because we need to do an altar call for that right now. If you don't, we need to fix that. Come down the front and you'll be given a toothbrush. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not meaning to judge. I'll give you Tic Tacs. Yeah, anyway. So tell me, your toothbrush, you use it for brushing your teeth, I hope. Is there anything that else that you use the toothbrush for? Does anyone use their toothbrush to clean the toilet as well as clean their teeth? <laughs> you may use your sibling's toothbrush to do that and not tell them. Do not. <laughs> you get the So a toothbrush is usually considered a single purpose item. Yes? What I want to suggest to you is that toothbrush is holy. It is set apart for a single purpose. That is the essence of holiness, that we may share in His holiness. In other words, that we as His people, the remnant that He is building, that He is putting His hand upon, might be completely set apart for one purpose, and that is Him. I am not my own, I am bought with a price. And I am set apart for Him. And everything that flows out of my life flows out of that one decision. That my life is set apart for Him and Him alone. Last story. Acts chapter 3. And for the interns, when I couldn't find the address of that verse that I was looking for in the book of Acts, I found it. You know when you're looking for something and you realise you're looking in the wrong house and that's why you can't find it? 
Well, that's what I was doing. It was the wrong chapter. It was Acts chapter 3, not Acts chapter 2. So this is, um, you'll be familiar, any of you who have been through Sunday school may remember the old song, Silver and Gold, have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and God, walking and leaping and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, good. This is where that song comes from. So Peter and John are going past this place called the Gate Beautiful. They meet, it says, they meet a crippled beggar, which just sounds insulting to me, a crippled beggar. And, um, and he says, you know, what do you want? And you know, in the old King James, it says arms. And it's like, well, he has arms. No, arms. Different spelling, once again. Anyway, dad joke for those of you who are over about 45. Um, and, they, and Peter and John say, well, we don't have any cash because we're pastors. <laughs> but, we, but what we will give to you, we do, what we have we'll give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he went. Walking, and yeah, good. Got it. Straight after that, obviously this happening in public, because this guy used to beg there for a really long time. When this sort of thing happens in public, it gets a little bit of attention. And so all this crowd is gathering around. Um, so it says, while the man held on to Peter and John, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Um, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Whew, that's smoking. There's a little bit of a rebuke right there. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is, Jesus, his, uh, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, this is the bit that I wanna pick out. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. So he finally softens it. He really lets them has it, have it. And then he says, look, I know you did this in ignorance. It's like, okay. As did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had told through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Here's what he says, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and he may send the Messiah who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Remember, we started with this sense of um, tired and weary, like checking out on a global scale. It's happening everywhere. It's happening all over the world. There is this checking out. And it's like, I just need refreshing. But the way God's refreshing comes, which is way better than even a holiday on the beach, and I really love a holiday on the beach. The way to do that is not, well, you know, sort your life out, employ Jesus as your life coach. He starts with repent and turn back to God. Now, this is, he was talking to a bunch of people that thought they knew what was best in killing Jesus, 
but had completely missed where God was at. And I think as the church, in many ways, we, we may have been guilty of thinking what we know is we thinking we know what's best, but missing God completely. And the call from Peter here was to say, hey, repent which is not just get on the floor and suck carpet, though if you haven't done that, that's probably a useful thing. But um, repent essentially means come to a higher perspective on reality. In other words, come and see things from God's reality. Come and see things from God's perspective. And then he says, and turn back to God. In other words, let go of all of the stuff that you have built your life on that is nothing to do with Him and everything to do with the ways that the world would say to go and turn back to Him. In other words, the sword's up at your heart. Take a few steps forward. And we go, whoa, this lordship thing, this is hard. This is like, wow, I really have to die here. And then he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So he wants to refresh you, but first he wants to kill you. For those of you that don't understand my metaphorical stupid sense of humour, what I'm talking about is that, that laying down, that repentance process where I go, you know what, God, all my way is getting me is anxious, depressed and miserable and I need the refreshing. And so this remnant are the ones who like the toothbrush are one purpose people. And that is my life is on the altar, is absolutely surrendered to the one. Jesus is my Lord, he's not my life coach. He gets to correct me. He gets to say, son, daughter, you're on the wrong path. What are you doing hanging out with that stuff? He always does it lovingly, but sometimes it's really in your face and confronting. This is what will see the fire come upon the remnant. Holiness. Not no fun, boring, but single purpose. Toothbrush. Set apart. I don't want to do a message like this without giving people a chance to respond. And you know, maybe you're, just, you're in that place already and you want to just go, yes, God, I'm there and I'm staying there. Yeah, Romans 12 says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. The biggest problem with living sacrifices is they crawl off the altar. <laughs> it's getting uncomfortable on here. I think I might crawl off for a little bit. Verse 18 of Hebrews 12, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom to a storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it beg no further word be spoken to them. This is speaking of 
when the old covenant came. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. That's not a bad exchange. My miserable, depressed, anxious existence for that. Pretty darn good exchange. Isaiah 61, beauty for ashes. Hmm, not a bad exchange. Garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A double portion instead of shame. Double portion means there is more than enough on my life instead of the shame of lack. That's not a bad exchange. Only thing is, you've got to die to get it. And I'm not talking like dying and going to heaven. I'm talking about the, I'm laying myself down, I'm firing Jesus as my life coach, and I'm coming under him as my Lord. I'm becoming the toothbrush. Holy, set apart. So, where's Jen and Jonathan? I think what we're going to do to finish off is we are going to do a song or something. We're going to do a something. We'll work it out in just a second. And we just want to open up the space for you to respond in some kind of way. If you're like, yeah, you might already be there you know, saying yes, and you might want to go come out and just plonk yourself down the front here. And just as an act of, I'm doing this, and I'm still doing this, and I'm keeping doing this. And I'm also going to encourage others to do this too. For some of you, you might be in Jesus is my life coach territory. For some of you, you may not even realise you're in that territory until we kind of put it out there like that. And there are some places in your world where you've gone, you know what? I've become a bit of a dual purpose item. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything else, rather than the, the holy, the toothbrush. And it's just coming back to the altar, putting myself there and going, Jesus, I'm here at the altar. I'm here to be used by you. Let your fire burn it up and then burn through me. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna do some worship. And if you are going, yes, I need to respond to that. I need to put myself out there. I need to put myself back on the altar can I encourage you to just, there's heaps of space out here just like we had before. Just come, whether it's lie down, sit down, stand, whatever. Just come into this space out here and just start to worship. It's one of the best ways that we can begin the process of making him Lord again is to just worship him. So why don't we stand? Like now. And let me pray for us and then you can respond as you feel you need to. Father, 
We've been in a reset season where you've been bringing correction to your body, where a whole lot of stuff has just cluttered and um, clogged up the works. And we've forgotten the first and greatest commandment, which is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. In other words, to put you first, to have you in that place of lordship where you can correct us. And we go, yeah. God, we desperately need those times of refreshing because a whole lot of us, not only in here, but right across the body, have grown weary and have lost heart. And many have even checked out. But God, we're the remnant. We're not checking out. We're here for the long haul. So God afresh, we just want to place ourselves on the altar and say, would your fire come and touch us again? Would your glory come upon us afresh? Would you restore to us our first love? That fresh fire that we knew the moment we first experienced you. Would you restore that to us, Father? And let your fire burn in this place again. In Jesus' name.